So Money episode 1162, Steve Wallace, singer, composer, and creator of the film musical, How King. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What I did realize was that all of my talents are assets. Yes. All of them. Our guest today is as prolific as he is talented. Stephen Wallace is a singer and composer from Chicago. His professional expertise incorporates a plethora of genres and styles from soul, hip-hop, blues, and classical. In the span of his career, he's released 15 of his own albums independently as an artist, produced, performed, and written on over 100 albums with credits including Wu-Tang Clan, De La Soul, and this month he releases his first feature-length film called Hal King. It's actually a film musical distributed by Gravitas Ventures. It was released on February 9th. The film is set in a late 1950s jazz era Midwestern town, modernizing and musicalizing William Shakespeare's Henry IV and V. I wanted to have Stephen on to talk about how to make it as an artist. You just heard him discuss how he has been able to cultivate, perfect, and leverage so many skills. If you are a painter, you don't just put color to canvas. There is so much more to you that you can monetize when you don't sell the art piece or when you're having a slower year. Artists are inherently multi-talented, and that is part of our conversation, but also how to make a film in the COVID era, how to finance a film, how to staff it, how to gain support. Steve also shares anecdotes from his journey throughout his career, throughout his career as an artist, some of the rejection he's faced and what that has taught him about being more in control of your career. Here's Stephen Wallace. Steve Wallace, welcome to So Money. Thank you. It's good to be here, Farnoosh. I'm excited to connect and learn a lot more about the behind the scenes of theater and film, especially in the age of COVID. It must be a really hard time, but you have proven triumphant during these months and now going on a year with the debut of your film, Mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about, Hal King, but also the journey to bringing this to life as A very talented person who, as you described before we were recording, faced racial challenges. And Mm. so you're willing to talk about that, which I appreciate and would love for you to, you know, mention some of those hurdles and how you overcome that. Um, But how does it feel to have your film out? And by the way, everyone, the movie is called Hal King. You can check it out, Hal King, the movie and distributed widely. But first, tell us, how are you feeling? Uh, it's like um, right before giving birth. I have a daughter. She's eight. So I, I the feeling I had before my wife gave birth to my daughter is similar to now. So it's like a lot. It's a lot of work heading up to it. But then, you know, you still got a lot of work to do. You know what I mean? So you're super excited and you're like, you can't wait to see people be like, oh, she's so cute. Oh, you know, and then do all that stuff. 
But then at the same time, you're like, okay. But then but- you live in fear for the rest of your life. I get it. <laughs> right. No, 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 not, not, not at all. It's, 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 like, it's more like, okay, now what do we do with this being that was, mm-hmm. you know, placed into our lives, you know? Um, and much like uh, bringing a child to life, there is an incubation process. There is nine months for a child, but it sounds to me like this movie, this film is the culmination of years of yes. hard work and sweat and planning and plotting. So give us uh, the summary of what helped bring this film to life and, and tell us, you know, even along the way, some of the challenges that you faced. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I wrote on social media that it was literally my blood, sweat and tears. And people say that, but I, I realized through this film that that it had to happen. You know, um, a lot of money came out of our me, me and my wife's pockets. Um, a lot of dealing with ego shots presenting to people, and they were like, "This will never work. You'll never do this for you know those types of conversations." And and just like having to you know just the sweat equity of like doing the things that need to be done on, on set, running up and down stairs, things that other people weren't willing to do, uh, making that happen. And then even after all the fun was done on the set and everybody was like, yeah, we made a movie and stuff, mm-hmm. like really just seeing it through, even after the point of it's being edited, playing for people and they say, yeah, but I don't like this, I don't like that, and editing more. And, and after everyone, it seemed like there was nothing else. You know, there was like a ram in the bushes and you know, seeing, going through the whole process to finally getting a distribution deal. And just to share with listeners, what is the movie we're talking about? This is Hal King, groundbreaking new feature length hip hop R&B musical. I'm reading on soultracks.com, which um, gives a glowing review. It's set in the late 1950s jazz era Midwestern town. Mm -hmm. The the film modernizes and musicalizes Shakespeare's Henry IV and Henry V Mm -hmm. through the iconic character of young Hal. When did you produce this, create this, was, did COVID impact the process? Um, well, it may have impacted it in a positive way. Um, I, I, we created and, and produced all of this stuff like way before COVID. So we were done filming. Well, I'll just say before COVID, I won't give everything away. But I'll tell you the idea started for me uh, probably over a decade ago. Uh, I had a dream that I feel like God gave me this dream of like, I saw Usher, the singer Usher, and he mm-hmm. had like jeans and Timberlands on, but he had like a poet shirt from the 19th century and he was running through a battlefield. And I was, I woke up from the dream and I said, what does that mean? But at the same time, I knew exactly what it meant. Like with my background, I was trained as a classical opera singer, but also I was raised around hip hop and R&B. And I've always wanted to find something because I've worked in both areas and kind of just kind of stayed in those areas. But I wanted to find a way to bridge the gap. I saw so many similarities in the storytelling that I thought would be really fascinating to see how to bring those things together. So I knew when I got the dream, I was like, okay, this is it. And I started to try to pull some people together to, to, to make it what it is today, you know, and I oversaw the whole process. And once I got all the lyrics and stuff together, I just wrote music for the whole thing. And I wanted to try to keep that modern and classical feel throughout the whole, throughout the whole thing. 
I want to get into how you did this financially, investing your own money. Uh, yeah. And but first, let's go back a little bit and talk about you know what you were telling me before we were recording, which is that throughout your career you faced challenges because of your race yeah. and whether that was not being hired for certain projects and certain roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you asked yourself for a question with four words, which I. I love, I think um, we all have this moment when we feel like we don't have a lot of power, where there's not much we can control, but yet there is. And the question mm-hmm. is, what can I do? Yeah, yeah. That was a pivotal, like, so first talk about some of these challenges that you faced. Sure. And was this, what can I do mindset pretty constant for youth or was it? I think it was something that kind of bubbled up to the surface after mm-hmm. different things happen. So I'm always trying to think, yeah, I mean, what what can I do is the, is the question, especially, you know, in my, in my life as an artist, I'm always trying to figure out what's the, what is it that I can do? You know, what, how can I fulfill myself and connect with the, the core of who I am as a person, you know, even beyond being an artist and let the art come from that? Well, the thing that happened to me, just some of the personal experiences, you know, when when I first auditioned for colleges, one of my, the school I actually re- initially went to was Illinois State University. There were some professors there when I first auditioned that that were saying, oh, his voice is too gospel-y. And I, and I had sung some classical music when I auditioned. And, but there was a Black professor that was on staff there, Dr. Alphonse Anderson. And he was like, no, you, that doesn't make any sense. He's got the voice to do this, you know? And just having somebody to have aid to, to help, like, to support that too was, was really key. He's the one that really got me into the idea of singing opera. I wasn't really into that at first. Mm-hmm. I was more like R&B, hip hop. And then I said, I knew about some classical things here and there, jazz, you know, definitely. But he really opened me up to the idea, which, which exposed me to the art of musical storytelling on stage, which included musical theater and so forth. Um, but going through auditioning with, with opera, like I auditioned for the, for the Metropolitan Opera when I was, 21 or 22, a couple times actually. And there was this one year, and I'll just be brief with this. You know, the, the, one of the things that they tell you is if they ask you to sing three three pieces, then you're moving to the next level. You know what I mean? And that was the thing. So there was one other person they asked that was a, a, a lady, a soprano, and she sang three pieces. And I was the only other person they asked out of everyone to sing three pieces. And I felt really good about my performance that day. And, um, and there was another tenor, who sang, who was, who was white. And he cracked like the entire, he was cracking while he was singing. And when they finally announced who was going to the next stage of the auditions, it was the lady that the, who sang three pieces. And it was the tenor who cracked. I was in shock. I mean, I was like, what's going on here? You know? And I even, I talked to the, the judges afterwards and they were, it, one of them was like, look, she just gave me this look. Like I kind of understood it's like it, it was some choices that were beyond, beyond my personal control, but uh, I understand I understand your frustration, you know, and I, and it was confirmation to me in that. And, and I've had other situations where maybe, um, you know, you go to audition for something for a role and other people go in that, you know, don't have the level of skill or expertise that you have. And and I know there's a lot of arts is weird because it could be so subjective, you know what I mean? 
But a uh, voice cracking? I'm sorry. Yeah, right. You know, uh, <laughs> that is the, that is the opposite of what you want to happen in an audition yeah. for a voice role. And it was a it was a big crack. It wasn't like a little little flub. It was like, ooh. But I mean, there's things like that that happen. Even to the point, I was in a role with a, a company, um, the, and the conductor was looking at me when I was singing. I, the first time I met the conductor, and he came in and. I sing through the piece. We were like all practicing. It was all pretty new for us. But he was looking at me, rubbing his head like he was confused that I what what I was doing, and made me sing the whole thing again, and did the same thing. And he moved on. <clears throat> and throughout the whole process, he made it harder and harder for me to exist within the just just. I already had the role. I was in the in in the piece. I was performing already. Um, to the point where he, you know, I just walked away from the show. You know what I mean? Do you, do you, despite this, do you feel as though you are happy that you were a trailblazer in many ways in that, uh, a you know, a strapping young black man who might automatically be assumed to be more of like the hip hop R&B culture sure. is now singing classical opera. You did turn heads and unfortunately some of them were not you know, impressed or for, or surprised, but at the same time, you did make an impact. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I definitely see that. And I, and I see that in, in other younger singers that are, that are coming up now. And I think one of the most important things is that, um, you know, it, there's a mentality that, that comes with, you know, being able to, I'll tell you, there's an experience I had when I was in an opera with an all black cast. And it was just amazing just to kind of be there with people that and and I never had to worry about if someone was telling me something, it was because I was black. Mm -hmm. It was just an amazing feeling, you know. Um, but I mean, as far as being a trailblazer, there's people that that have done these things way before me. I mean, there's George Shirley, uh, Roland Hayes. There's, you know, as far as tenors go, and of course, Leontine Price, Marion Anderson. I mean, people, Robert, Robert McFerrin, you know. Uh, they've all definitely tra uh, blazed those trails. Uh, I think one of the things for me was that because I was talented in a lot of different ways, not just performing, but also with creating, that it pushed me to be like, okay, I was seeing my friends, like I was seeing my friends having a hard time getting roles and get, going through the same thing I was going through. And I was like, well, what what do we do? Like, I, I you know, I can't, you just keep quitting or you just keep walking yeah, off? No, right. you have to take control. So exactly. So um, that takes guts, you know, uh, and I see that with even with women in Hollywood who are tired of getting um, going through the, you know, process of being judged and mm -hmm. objectified. And so they put it, they become writers, they yeah. become directors, they become yep. producers. And there is so much control that comes with that. It's, do you, do you want to go back to performing more? Or are you more now into the sort of like the behind the scenes now because you, the, of the ability to kind of control your destiny more? Yeah, I, I am open to all of the above and mostly because, you know, I feel like, you know, talents are given by God and then developed by us at, through life. And I, I think it, you know, I want to use everything that I have, you know, to try to give back to to my community and to the world, you know, to make this world ultimately a better place with my gifts. So I, sometimes I feel like when I'm just behind the scenes, there's an aspect of me that's not being shared and a, a gift that I'm not allowing to be, you know, 
uh, put on display. I, I want to do I, like both situations. Yes. Yeah. Well, you do make a cameo in Hal King. I do. <laughs> How did that come about? So that's the weird thing, right? I, I initially didn't want to be in the film at all. Um, not because I was camera shy or anything like that. I just wanted to just I wanted to see other people work with the work. And I had someone that was in this role. It was a sm- it's a small role. Uh, it's the mediator. <laughs> There's a political debate that happens at the end. And there's a guy who's the mediator of the debate, um, a character. And um, I had a, I had someone else who came to the studio. And oftentimes with, with musicals, except for like in a couple of cases, usually the way it's done, you go to the recording studio, you record your parts. And when you're on the set, you lip sync, uh, you lip sync to your voice. Right. Um, and I had the, the guy, you know, came by and recorded mm-hmm. in the studio and they, as far as it sounded great. I was like, man, this sounds awesome, man. Thank you, man. You know, see you. We'll be there next Tuesday, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, cool. Shake hands. And we get on set and he's just not there. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so uh, I, my, the director was like, look, we, you, you need to do it, man. Cause he knew I could sing. The director was, is a singer too. Um, and, uh, Myron Davis, shout out to him. But he was like, man, we need to get you in a suit. You need to do this. I was like, okay, cool. Let's go. (laughs) You know. Time is money. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. How did you raise money for this movie? Did you use savings? Did you uh, crowdfund it? Did you get investors? How did it? Every film is made differently. So I want to know. Yeah. It was all of the above. I didn't know what I was doing at first. And, you know, I talked to some organizations trying to get in larger investors that wasn't really working. People didn't see, didn't see the money in it, or they didn't know the field, you know, didn't know entertainment field. I wasn't talking to the right investors. And so I just went, I started going to go to people that had a stake in my life. So it was like family, friends, friends and pr- professors and people like that. And I sat down with them. I presented a professional 20 page presentation for them say this is what we're doing this is what we have this is the plan this is what we're looking for toward the future and show them all the percentages and everything and for for the most part those people they invested in me because because it was me they knew me they mm-hmm. they had respect for me and seeing my talent and they wanted to invest in that because they wanted to see me succeed i did get other investors as well and there's some people that just kind of i did a kickstarter which did not succeed uh, but it did bring some attention. And there were people that gave investments outside of the Kickstarter. And also me and my wife, we put like tons into this. Like we're the largest investor in the whole in the film. Uh, Which is what investors like to see. They like to yeah. see the person who's developing this to be the biggest stakeholder, have skin in the game. And right. what happens from here? You know, how do you measure the success and what is at stake? Oh man, I, I I just I just think of you know there's so much that we put into this. I mean, you know, on a real surface level, you know, down to the the, the nuts and bolts. I mean, I want to make the money back for my investors and myself. That's definitely a thing. But I think the success mm-hmm. is beyond that. You know, because I think what it is, it's an opportunity to open the door to have other conversations. And I think if those conversations happen and those opportunities are are built from people seeing me accomplishing this on a very, very small budget. I mean, so small that I showed it to industry folks and they were like, it's, this is impossible. You cannot do a period musical on this amount of money. It's impossible. 
but we did it. What inspired it besides your dream? Because when I did read the description of it mm-hmm. and I think, um, okay, this is like a mix of classical history. I mean, this is Shakespeare meets sort of like modern day or not even modern day, but like 1950s modern. Yeah. We see that with Hamilton, for example, right? Right. right. Not to be cliche about it, but no, was... Cool. Was there a was there inspiration from other other existing musicals and creative work that we could, we would all know about that was where you got the inspiration for this? Well, yes and no. So I, this was I, when I started. It was before Hamilton. Um, really? Yeah, it was it was way before Hamilton. And actually, I had done other projects. Like I did an album in two thousand ten or something. I think it was called Street Symphony where I was, I sang like R&B songs over these hip hop beats that had all this classical music in it. And it would be inspired like from things from operas and stuff. And I would tell the, retell the story of the opera in the, in the song, like in a three minute song, you know, or that scene from the opera or whatever, or recontextualize a relationship that the song was about, whatever. So I'd done some things like that. And then when I was in college, you know, I, you know, with that professor, uh, Dr. Anderson, he drew a lot of black opera singers to him for obvious reasons. And uh, we used to joke or joke around about like, oh, what would an opera sound like if it was, you know, produced by Babyface or something or yeah. Brian McKnight, you know, like somebody who was a or Prince, you know, like a, a very versatile black artist that was multi-instrumentalist and like composer. Like, what would that sound like? And we would just joke around with things, you know. Uh, like that. And I think a lot of black opera singers experienced that too. Um, so that's the thing. But if I take it back to anything, when I was like four, I used to listen to the Wiz soundtrack, the film version of the soundtrack, like every day. Hmm. And I was super influenced by that. I mean, Quincy Jones is a master producer. I knew who to bring together to do, you know, and I always loved just to see so much, so much black excellence in one th- expression, you know, because uh, you had Michael Jackson and it was, you know, it was just like, it was so much going on in that film and the dancers and the, the sets and the costumes were interesting. And so that was a big, big influence for me. And if I, I, I guess I always thought if I could do something on that level of brilliance, then then I feel like I'm, you know, I'm doing what, you know, what I need to be doing in life, you know? Yes. And you made a very uh, pointed decision to make sure that your film had, you know, was in a black town with black themes and mm-hmm. casting creative. Um, are you hopeful that the direction that the film industry is going is one that is more inclusive? Are you seeing, are you feeling more confident about that? Do you feel like, um, you know, your place in this world, this creative world as a talent who can sing and direct and act like you have more opportunities going forward that maybe you don't have to create, that there are going to be opportunities for you that come to you. Yeah, I be- I really do believe that. I, I think um, in the last, I think it started, you know, I had a composition professor, Virko Bailey, who uh, who taught me when I was in my undergrad and he, he was from Ukraine. And he said that, all great artists birthed from great turmoil. And that's how I felt from how he grew up in Ukraine and what he experienced. And if you look throughout history, I mean, some of the most extravagant periods of 
great art. I mean, from my my cultural perspective, you're looking at the 60s and 70s and like what was happening, the civil rights movement, 50s, 60s and 70s and the type of music that came out during that time. It was, you know, so powerful. And then hip hop, late 80s and early 90s. And, you know, we've all saw straight out of Compton, you know, you know what I mean? Like we, so I'm saying that to say that the, the, the death of Trayvon Martin to me was sort of a, a tipping point artistically, if if you really look at it, because there was a lot of great films. I think Selma came out around that time or like a year or two after. And mm-hmm. then it was like a lot of really artistic expressions. And even like, even hip hop sort of changed a little bit, even though there's still some other stuff that we, we this is a whole nother podcast talk about hip hop. Yeah. <laughs> but, but. Which but, we can do. Um. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I consider myself a hip hip hop aficionado, you know, I, I study the culture like as much as I possibly can. But but yeah, I mean, just to see like certain types of artists that are coming out, like, you know, Chance the Rapper and then some of the things that Kendrick Lamar was doing and J. Cole, really powerful stuff that we hadn't heard in a long time. So I feel like that, that we're kind of in the midst of, of, you know, just speaking from my culture, like a black arts, you know, movement right now. So I'm seeing that definitely. Even with with like you know Black Panther, all all part of that, and a lot mm-hmm. of great movies, and photograph, and I can just go up down the line, which is really exciting to be a part of. I always was saying to myself, I you know I hope to be a part of like a movement like that, that I could be in that number with everything else that's going on. The film is Hal King, Hal King the movie. Before we go, Steve, I'd love for you to share with the audience some advice around how to financially survive as an artist. I think a lot of people who are super talented uh, don't pursue the arts because, or they do and then they give up because they, it's a struggle financially can be. Um, how have you supported yourself and your family um, in an industry that's not, you know, it's sort of like there's a struggle and then you can make it really big, but in the middle, like it's really hard to be like a working actor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for years and years and years, or, or is it, maybe that's just the way it's been characterized. Tell us about your experience and any advice you have for budding artists. Yeah. So I had a mentor some years back that, that was a music producer and a DJ and he gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, once. And I, and I, and I read through it and I had no money, you know what I mean? Like I was living check to check. And, and so I took that, but I took that because a lot of, a lot of the crux of that whole book is talks about assets and liabilities and that mm-hmm. your assets need to be be greater than your liabilities. It's a really simple thing. Assets make you money. Liabilities basically waste your money or, you know, something like that. Right. So, so the idea with me not having any, what I thought, I was like, I don't have any assets. You know, I'm like in a one, I'm in a studio apartment. I'm trying to pay my rent each month as low income housing. What, what is this? How does this refer to me? What I did realize was that all of my talents are assets. Yes. All of them. So, and I really thought about, you know, all the talents that I've been given and I've developed, I draw, I sing, I play instruments, other things that are directly uh, adjacent to the things that I do, I also can do. So because I could play instruments, I got to start developing myself as a music producer, as an arranger. You know, I I was doing some of that stuff before too, but, and then that kind of led me to music engineering. And so not just mi- recording vocals, then mixing vocals, and then not just mixing vocals, but also mastering a, a song, you know? So 
that just kind of expanded from drawing. You know, I was doing designs for people. I was doing logo art. I was doing cover designs, these types of things. So, and then like, you know, as a singer and being a singer on stage as a, as an opera singer, um, well, why not go into straight acting? Of course, teaching lessons and these types of things, realizing there are certain places that always need music as a practical, uh, as, as a practical resource, uh, TV, um, churches, or places of worship, other places of worship, uh, to add your services to mankind in that way. So, so what I've found that's worked for me is to have all of those assets kind of spinning, and some are spinning more than others, and some are not spinning at all. But maybe they will next year, you know. Right, um, right. And that's how that's how it's worked for me. Diversification. Yes. <laughs> Yes. It has many meanings, but in your career, also so important. HowKingTheMovie.com. I'm going to watch. The world premiere was on February 9th. It'll be airing for three months and it's streaming on, uh, you tell us, YouTube, Amazon. Yes. Uh, iTunes um, and a ton of different uh, cable service providers such as Comcast and Spectrum Dish Network. Uh, it's on Google Play. So it's in a lot of different places, but the most common ones are the Amazon, YouTube, and iTunes. And if you go to uh, howkingthemovie.com, you can, you can stay in contact with us and we give you all the information you need there. Wonderful. Steve Wallace, congratulations. Thank so you. Huge. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Stephen Wallace. You can visit stevewallacemusic.com and you can learn more about How King the Movie at howkingthemovie.com. More links on our website at somoneypodcast.com. If you have a question for me for our Friday episodes, don't hesitate. Join me on Instagram. Send me a direct message there, a private direct message, and I will keep it for consideration for a future So Money episode. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. So money.